Hello and welcome to the Sobre Mesa podcast with me, your host, Alan Maguire. We're coming towards the end of a week, a Puente week. Everyone in Spain had the 1st of November off. And on the 31st of October, uh, it was Halloween, people dressing up. Um, and there was also a very a big ceremony with lots of people dressed up in historical gear. Princess or Infanta uh, Leonor swore an oath to be heir of the Spanish throne. It was a very... Very small celebration, I think, but was on all the television channels, dressed in a very similar fashion to her mother, um, and she has just turned 18 years of age. And, you know, they're betting her future as the future of the Spanish crown. But as many listeners probably know, the crown in Spain isn't as uh, as as institutionalized in households as, for instance, the British crown, which is often the obvious um, person or group that we compare them with. So with me today on the podcast, I have James Badcock, who is a freelance journalist based in Madrid. Welcome to Sobremesa, James. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. I've been been looking forward to this for a long time. Um, Sobremesa has been going for three years and I think one of my very first episodes, which I don't actually think is up anymore because I deleted it because I was so embarrassed by it, it's just me talking to a microphone for, for 25 minutes, uh, was about Juan Carlos. And it start, we, started the, we started the podcast, or I started the podcast, uh, in the middle of, of COVID. Um, and we're going to get on to why the dramas that happened in COVID a bit later, which all, you're well accustomed to, James. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. But first... What do you? What did you think of this week's kind of ceremony? And I mean, at the moment, the right are trying to basically call Sanchez anti-Spanish because of this um, amnesty law that he's trying to put together with with the Catalans and so on and so forth. Um, but you know, he stood. There's pictures of him smiling. Look very looking very handsome in his his morning suit, walking alongside uh, mm. Queen Letizia and her, and her two young daughters, who one of whom is about to swear to be heir of the throne uh, on the constitution. Uh, it kind of worked in his favour, right? Yeah, you're right. It, it's quite it's it was quite strange. It was almost like a sort of dreamlike episode because here we are in a day to day lately in Spain, um, as you and all the listeners are aware. It looks like you know the world's going to end tomorrow. The, the politics is extremely intense and fractious and unpleasant. And here was this, you know, rather sedate, lovely day. Uh, as you mentioned, Leonor, 18th birthday, very pleasant, lovely, nice-looking young uh, girl with dressed in white with his sister. And uh, yeah, Sanchez having a, a you know probably one of his more relaxing moments. Of, <laughs> of recent times and a chance to kind of look institutional right? because we, we hear and we can read in space so much said about Sanchez as this kind of antichrist who is devouring you know Spain's institutions and traditions um you know according to some standpoints not everybody thinks that but, but the people who think that really do think that strongly and and the, the media certainly you know conservative media uh is is uh, you know, grandstanding on this sort of pre- representation of Sanchez, as is the opposition, PP and Vox, especially competing yeah. on that. So, in a way, to see him, yes, just looking affable uh, and and you know pleasant and knowing his place uh, and not 
hogging the limelight even you know just sort of being quite polite and servile looking in front of the king and the queen and the and the heiress of, of, to the throne was was almost i don't know it was a strange incident but of course politics was there um several ministers didn't go the, the podemos uh, contingent um mm -hmm. they weren't in congress with all the other mps um you know this was obviously seized on by the opposition and you know it's 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 back well back to you know back back to normal very quickly afterwards yeah i mean i i suppose one of the more interesting points was juan carlos the you know the original king i suppose you could call him king emeritus uh, wasn't there and nor was uh, queen uh, sofia but we're going to talk a bit more about Juan Carlos, who is you know key to this episode. What we're going to be talking about today, um, but yeah, I mean, I think one of the things regarding the royalty that I've read in recent days, in several um, from you know El País to El Público and even El Mundo, that 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 the the royal, royal family as an institution, I mean, really, and has done since the transition, really has relied on the Pessoa historically for support on the left you know if if the Pessoa were to you know turn republican as, as they historically were before the transition in 70 in the 70s mid 70s then uh i mean it would be a really difficult argument to you know i mean the the for, to maintain sort of uh, a monarchy in spain um but it's also i mean there's not really a lot to say about Leonor, right? I mean, she's she's 18, um, but Good, she's well, family's point of view. <laughs> yeah, Good, right? <laughs> I mean, in the moment, she's um, she is. So she did. I remember during COVID, she did a year or two years at what they call the hippie Hogwarts, which is like a a private international school somewhere in Wales, based in a castle, and now and now she's doing. Um, like military service, but kind of like the sort of military service that royals do, getting experience in in all the different places. Is that right? Yeah, exactly, exactly right. Just just pick up on what you said earlier. I think you're right. I mean, the Pessoa support for the royal family. I mean, people, people have their own minds on this, obviously. And if they ever get asked, who knows? It, uh, we don't get a lot of uh, um, survey opinion polls on people's opinion of the monarchy in Spain. Strangely, it's one, one of those things about Spanish democracy doesn't seem to work with normality, which mm. is that there aren't polls on, on the royal family. Mm. Uh, but have been very few since it all got rather difficult <laughs> with Juan Carlos and so on. Anyway, um, that sort of side. But yes, the, the sorry support for the monarchy is one of the sort of, um, you know, legs of the table that, you know, there, there, there is, you know, Spanish democracy in the transition. It's absolutely... Mm crucial and uh something that you know doesn't it doesn't seem to be being questioned at any kind of high level but you have to think that if if the, the information that we do have from some polling on um um feelings about the monarchy is that generally speaking there's a bit of a generational crisis i mean younger yeah. people are less interested so that will affect the socialists when you know a new generation of leaders come through possibly right mm. um about the um um Oh yes, hippie Hogwarts. So, so it seems to me that um, um, Felipe and um, Leticia, they they're making an effort to make Leonor likable 
approachable and normal. So yes, so so hence this interesting choice of school. You know, rather than going to perhaps an elite school, you know, outside Madrid or something like that, where she would just be surrounded by all the people of her class in Spain or yeah. you know, other other aristocrats or minor aristocrats and so on. You know, they sent her to this place, as you say, it's near Bridge End in Wales, Atlantic College, where yes, most of the people there pay high fees. They also have, you know, quite an extended scholarship, uh-huh. um, I believe, and they make a point anyway of diversity. You know, the, the right. people come, people go there from all over the world. Uh, it's a beautiful, you know, rainbow coalition of young people. I think, and and they do, and it does seem modern in its outlook. Right. They are they're talking about yeah, you know, I think they're basically trying to form leaders. Right. For uh, you know, for the future and you know, tackling and considering the challenges that we face. And all in all, and now Leonard is doing her military training, which is exactly what her, her, her father did. But all in all, so there she's mucking in with, you know, other recruits and so on. All in all, just from reading her body language and a few things we, we might hear her say, she does seem to be reasonably well adapted. You know? She doesn't yeah. seem to be uh, she doesn't seem to be a product of a very small clique, you know, as we might see in some of her cousins, for example, mm-hmm. who seem to have perhaps remained all their all their lives in a very narrow, privileged group. She does mm-hmm. seem to be, you know, what they seem to be making an effort to prepare her to be approachable, to be modern, mm-hmm. you know, give off a modern air, uh, and be ready for you know the twenty first century. No, definitely. I mean. Uh... We can't really. I mean, as we said, there's not a lot to say about her. She's still very young, uh, but she seems to be. I mean, close with her sister as well. Um, but yeah, they. I mean, the actual royal family do seem kind of. Uh, they are trying to separate themselves from the kind of more toxic, I suppose, toxic culture of the rest of the family, and I think. Um, you know that's something definitely worth talking about uh you know felipe her dad comes to the throne in 2014 uh after her after his dad's um abdication i think he was 76 at the time and you know he's kind of had to a a hard job i mean you know whether you're a republican or, or a monarchist i think have trying to trying to clean up after your own dad uh as he has had to do uh, is was not an easy task, especially in a country that's had republics. Um, you know, especially with regards to you know things such as the civil war and and Franco choosing the monarchy, and that you know he's had to fight this very toxic culture, which um, you know still continues to this day. I mean, there's still reports in 2020 of you know the granddaughters of of Juan Carlos using what they call black credit cards which are you know just endless supply of money for like ubers and air and airplanes and and uh shopping in el court in glaze um and then there's the famous frolin who who you know is the nephew of the king right who who has been in is kind of like the bad boy of the family um so what what do you think of her dad uh leonor's dad like felipe how do you how do you see his I mean, it's only 2014, so it's nine years. I mean, what what do you think of his his reign? I think I think he's. I think, as you say, it's a career, he took over in very, very, very difficult circumstances, and 
you know, his father met before his that what we could describe as his downfall, or at least his yeah, his downfall. He really had that. Mm. Okay. Um, uh, and certainly his you know his fallen star in terms of popularity. He was an extremely charismatic figure. He made the monarchy. He's the founder of this new you know the monarchy in Spain. It's not mm. uh, he didn't inherit it normally, as 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 you kind of alluded to there. His father, you know, Franco basically chose Juan Carlos. Yeah, there were other perhaps less obvious choices, but he, you know there were other people who kind of claimed they were the legitimate. Um, you know, future king of Spain, and he chose Juan Carlos, passed over his father, who was still alive, mm. who was obviously the heir. Um, and you know, Juan Carlos made himself popular with a lot of Spaniards, uh, as you say. This, as we were mentioning, this key thing that the socialists and, and other you know, left-wing forces kind of got behind the transition. And there's a cliche in Spain that says, "I'm not a monarch." You know, a lot of people say, "I'm not a monarchist," but I'm I'm a Juan Carlista. What I used to say right. in the 80s and 90s. No, the, 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 he had convinced uh, a large swathe of the population that was naturally suspicious about monarchy. Mm. It would be people, perhaps left-wing people, but also people from the right. I mean, um, uh, uh, who you know, not especially monarchists in, in sentiment. So he convinced all these people, and you know, he did that with a lot of, with with obviously some of the things he did in the transition and the fact that he was you know seen as piloting this transition, um, you know, quite a remarkable series of events in the seventies in Spain, but also with charisma, right? He was likable, uh, he was kind of charming, he was able to be spontaneous, uh, yeah. and people like that. Now, I mean, Felipe's got very low popularity for the monarchy, we think. Uh, inevitably, I mean, uh, uh, the institution has, you know, been degraded by his father's, all the revelations of what his father did. And he doesn't have, he doesn't even have his father's charisma or mm. kind of common touch. You know, he's, I mean, by all accounts, he's perfectly likable, but we really can't tell. I mean, he just, he's someone I think who doesn't emote a lot. He doesn't transmit a lot. Mm. He perhaps has decided he just can't go down that route. Uh, then we saw him, you know, when there was the crisis in Catalonia in 2017, he was very severe. I mean, I mean, the message, you know, was applauded by many people in Spain that he was very strong, he was very strict. He just says, you can't just, you know, exit the constitution and do what you like. I'm backing the government, I'm backing the security forces. Well, it could have been a good message, but I think the fact, you know, for a lot of people, but the fact that he delivered it, he, he had, he's not a warm character, you know. Mm. He's a, so it's he's got a you know a hell of a, a job with that. But I think he's within his own within the limitations of the situation, as I was mentioning, how it'll be unpopularity and the suspicion surrounding the monarchy and his own personality. I think he's done as about as well as you, you could expect. Which mm. above all, he's avoided any further scandal. Yeah. Um, he's taken some steps to be more transparent. There are criticisms that the government. In terms of the budget and what's spent by the palace is still not completely transparent. He's revealed his own wealth, mm. which is easily 2.5 million euros, mm -hmm. which I'm sure both of us would just find ridiculous. <laughs> um, and but you know, it's not a lot of money, and he can kind of account for it. I mean, what we don't know, and we'll get we'll get later, we'll get as you say, we might get into some of the ins and outs of his father's finances. Is there something he doesn't even know he has? Is there something he's not admitting? Yeah, but, you know, I mean, this is officially what he has, and I'm sure it's what he intends to use, and not not touch anything anything of uh, less um, 
transparent provenance. So this is money that, you know, he could say why he's got 2.5 million. He's not spent his salary completely. He gets each year and he's invested in bonds, you know, government bonds and things like that. So it's, uh, that's all kind of above board. Um, so all in all, I think, you know, he couldn't have done much better. Mm. Uh, as I say, there are no proper surveys by the CIS, the, you know, the, the state sociological um, organization agency, which carries out, you know, regular detailed questioning of the population on all kinds of issues, but it doesn't ask about the monarchy. So it hasn't done mm. for like a decade. Yeah. Um, but um, I, one reads that, you know, sources from the palace say that they do their own, they do their own, you know, um, surveying and, and things oh, really? are getting better. Oh, well. The idea is that things are getting better, but how from a low base and, and how much better, we don't know. And Leonor seems to be, uh, uh, you know, well, people seem to be taking to her, but as you say, what's not to like at the moment? And also we're seeing more lately, I've noticed, it's definitely a trend. We're seeing much more Queen Latifia. Mm, yeah, I was going to mention that. Yeah, I couldn't quite understand why she said so little for so many years. She didn't seem to be doing a lot of public speaking. She was at events. You know, she, she you know, she's always noticed. She's, she's yeah. glamour and her, her, her fashion sense and all the rest of it. And I was thinking, well, that's fine. She's got fashion sense, but we know she's got a lot more. I mean, she's mm. you know, very interesting person with her own views on things and certainly a, a good communicator as a former tv you know news anchor so i mean yeah i mean he i always think how can felipe as you see him as the king i mean it's probably not the same person obviously that you see behind um the palace doors but how can he be the same like, how can he be the son of, of Juan Carlos? Because they do appear, like, if you compare their kind of reigns, I mean, they do appear like completely different people to a degree. Uh, like you said, you know, is that a charisma? Well, that has charisma and, and these things. And he's, yeah, it's like you said, like, completely cold, really. But then, then the one thing that a lot of, I think a lot of people do remember about him is that he married, you know, someone that is not of aristocracy he married a commoner essentially uh yeah. you know a head of prince william in the uk on this marries a television presenter i mean maybe that's maybe that's one one of the reasons that that they've managed to try and avoid or as far as we know try and avoid this sort of toxic culture that that seems to really be you know rampant in the, in the rest of the family yeah i mean i think one of the reasons i was told that she didn't used to speak a lot and this is just like uh, Salseo. It's because apparently she did used to speak, and they didn't they didn't trust her speaking, so she was kind of kept back a bit. I don't know how true that is, but now yeah, she is starting to come out more um, and speak more. I saw her do a rap the other day about I think it was mental health. So yeah, I mean it's kind of that um, play like like in the British monarchy, you know, they're trying to put out. Kate Middleton out there because she's kind of seen as as a bit more popular and, and things. Um, whereas, yeah. Um, what do you think their their kind of approach is with Leonor? Though is is it it's a modernization, right, of, of the monarchy? Well, I mean, I don't know what what um, what the plans are, <laughs> <laughs> but I think we can see. You know, we can see what they're going. But I think. What we're saying about Letitia is kind of almost it goes as well for Leonor. I mean, we are talking yeah. about you know, Letitia is different. Yeah, as you say, she's a commoner, 
Um, yeah, it's interesting. Why well, I don't know quite why they held back so much on her. I remember the very first thing after the, after he took over the throne. One of the, I think, possibly the very first event they had, or very very soon after they had a an event at the palace for the LGBT plus community. And I remember thinking, wow, that's you know, it's not not that there was anything, you know, not that the royal family was at loggerheads, but you know, but it still it seemed quite a kind of funky thing to do yeah. early on. And I thought, right, and this felt felt like Leon um Letitia's influence, probably. Mm. You know, let's popularize the institution, let's kind of merge with society rather than you know stay far away. But it, there, there seems to be a bit of push and pull on that. I imagine in the end, Felipe takes these kinds of decisions with advice. I mean, the people around Felipe, I'm not an absolute expert or a complete royal watcher, but I have some, you know, doing stuff. Well, I have some relationship with them and so on. And they're quite stuffy. I mean, he, right. he, that's the thing. I think he's a conservative kind of person. He doesn't change things. So he, he is surrounded by, very old school um people the kind of people who always worked you know for you know for, for the palace um yeah. and you know their the contacts of his that go way back so i think there is there there, there are there's probably i'm not saying it's uh there's tension there in a negative really negative way that there's some sort of battle going on but there's, de there's definitely there are these two ideas i think of playing things very safe being conservative and opening up a bit more and I think you know, we're probably seeing um, a bit more confidence now. Perhaps they think they've got through the worst. They've got now. They've got an heiress. Leonor could now take over the throne. There wouldn't be a crisis if Felipe was hit by by a bus or, or whatever. Mm. He get hit by. Um, and um, you know, she she could take over the throne legally. There wouldn't have to be a regency or anything like that. Yeah. So um, that's what the other day was all about. She's eighteen. She's sworn um fidelity to the constitution and so on mm. so i think perhaps you know perhaps we are seeing a kind of um more confident more expansive mode now yeah we'll see yeah, right. yeah more modern let his hair down yeah yeah well <laughs> felipe letting his hair down i'm not sure what that would look like but, uh, <laughs> but, but yeah he did he did he did marry Letitia. i mean you know he, he yeah he, he married the woman he wanted to marry there's no question about that he didn't you know um he didn't accept no doubt existing pressures to you know make a good choice of a certain aristocrat or perhaps a royal member of another household and so on so you know he showed he had his own um views there and his own vision and he has certainly he certainly has i think fought a battle with his father again we'll get onto the corruption mm. of his father in a minute but he has you know he's fought a battle over it with him he's pushed him away i mean he his father lives in abu dhabi mm. i think that's not because he really wanted to live in abu dhabi um yeah. and you know felipe also was pretty ruthless about his sisters who you know also have this they also have a slight whiff of, you know, just being family members, friends with their dad. We read that they've also, they also, you know, seem to have benefited from the largesse um, that Juan Carlos generally was distributing over the years to his family. Um, um, so, you know, I think he's been quite ruthless. I think Letitia's probably been quite important in some of those decisions. Right. 
I mean, one thing I do think is interesting is how he's been politicized. I mean, I don't really know about how politicized a figure Juan Carlos was, but certainly, you know, after, like you said, after his speech regarding Catalonia, you know, comments from Podemos minister, um, members of parliament were like that he's the 54th member of Vox. Um, and and there was like a very he be, did become quite politicized after this this speech on Catalonia, um, and recently because he's he's asked Sanchez to form a government, um, and everybody knows that Sanchez needs the Catalans to to mm. to to become prime minister um, or to form another government. You know he's become lots of people on the right have been have been denouncing him, and not lots, but you know I have I have seen quite a few interest in chance and, and things like that against against him as well so um it's kind of it is it is uh it, he is in an interesting place at the moment i think so i think you know if he's um getting bashed from the far left and the far right he probably thinks he's more or less you know steering at the decent course down the middle mm-hmm. Uh, and they won't be too worried about that. I mean, there are parties, the fact that Podemos and other parties on the left who are, you know, Republican, uh, criticizing him won't worry him too much. Um, but I think on the other side, um, I think there's a tendency on, from the right of Spanish politics and not just the far right, even PP conservative circles to, um, occasionally, they they display a kind of ownership of of of, of the royalty in a yeah. way. I think, um, and I think you know that's something he will want to stay away from. Mm. Um, and it's something I think his father certainly steered away from as well. Right, okay. Carlos famously didn't get on well with um, PP prime ministers. He didn't oh, really? Get on well. Well, he had a very bad relationship with Afnad. I think they were just completely different characters. Yeah. Because what else is, or what, as a king, was extremely expansive, a little bit naughty, you know, and Afnad was very strict and sort of abstemious kind of, kind of character. And I think also the idea is that Afnad, um, probably getting ahead of ourselves, but Afnad tried to kind of maybe um, stop some of the excesses uh, of oh, wow. you know, what the king was up to, just kind of doing his own thing um when he should be just you know being a figurehead and i don't think that went down well and he got on much better with you know socialist ministers in general and we got on brilliantly with felipe and Silas because they both let each other do their own right you know, dubious things and <laughs> um <laughs> but you know he also got on okay with with, with september anyway but um what what i was saying was that yeah, they, they express a kind of ownership sometimes of the institution. Like this is our, you know, we're a monarchist, mm. it's our thing. And then they want the monarchy to act in a way that favors their interests. I mean, it would be a disaster for yeah. monarchy in Spain if Felipe was perceived to act politically. And imagine he hadn't, you know, wasn't, wouldn't give Pedro Sanchez, uh, um, you know, the opportunity to get an investiture just by saying, oh, well, you don't seem to have enough support. So, you know, I won't, I won't be doing that. You know, when we all know what, the, you know, everyone knows what the reality of the Congress is, it's a difficult mission and all the rest of it, but, you know, they all had no chance, but it was in a way logical that he was given a go. He, he won, he was the most voted, uh, the DP won the election, so we say. And, um, but, you know, I, I think it was all, I think he did it well. I don't think, you know. Um, 
he he in general in politics he doesn't he, he plays it safe. But there was a there was a sense that his father Juan Carlos was more of an actor in these mm. in these situations, which he didn't really have so much of very delicately hung parliaments and with so much fragmentation. If it, Juan Carlos was around, he'd be he'd probably be you know in the front line, not right. saying it openly, but you know he'd be doing a lot more politicking. Um, Felipe just takes the logical, as far as I can see, just takes the most logical, sensible uh, decision and not just the decisions, but, you know, the, 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 the protocol he follows. It's all, he plays it safe, he does it, does, does the job well. I mean, I suppose the, the exception, uh, you could argue it's an exception or not, I don't know, It's uh, there's a lot of different views on it, but uh, is the, was the, the Catalonia speech, um, you know, I mean, it, they have a it depends how you define the role of the monarchy in in spanish government which i suppose uh you know a lot of people say you know he had the right to make the speech but then there's also the the but should he have made the speech kind of like is the other option you know he chose to make the speech uh whether it was whether it is right to or not is is also another matter but but i suppose you know that that has that has affected his his image for good on some parts and 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 for ill on others but um i mean yeah talking about the right owning the the king i think it's been a lot more evident uh, ever since he's done that uh and more no more so than uh isabella ayuso in madrid um you know absolutely you know kind of doting on on him really I mean, we've talked a lot about this kind of toxic culture. I think it really within the royal family and talking about, you know, but I think, you know, it's really, you need to start at the beginning uh, of Juan Carlos's reign to to get a feel for why it was so, what, what, what this culture really consists of, really. I mean, which is kind of, you know, to a degree, treating Spain like your own personal playground. He comes to the throne in seventy-five, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And as you said, was handpicked by Franco. Do you want to talk a little bit about his 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 history? I mean, I read, I read, I mean, I read that he was, you know, born in Rome and baptized by the Pope at the time. Um, so that kind of gives you a good <laughs> a good idea of where he's coming from. But do you want to tell us a bit about Juan Carlos's? Where he, how he came to the throne? Okay, sure. I mean, you're right about born in Rome, and because you know the board, his family was in exile. You know, because yeah. uh, um, we had a republic in Spain, the Second Republic, before the sec- before the Civil War, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the Civil War brought Franco to power, and Franco, um, to, to, dis- to the disappointment of some of his supporters who were monarchists. Uh, didn't actually really wasn't really in any great hurry to bring the king <laughs> back to the throne in Spain. Instead, what he did was designate a successor to himself, hmm. uh, and he designate and who would be king. And then he designate you know he chose Juan Carlos. Juan Carlos um, uh, swore you know loyalty to Franco. He swore loyalty to the national movement mm-hmm. solemnly. You know he swore to. Um, he swore to be a continuation of that. He swore to uphold these values in the same way that Leonard swore uh, in front of the nation the other day to uphold democratic values. Juan Carlos swore to uphold, um, you know, the 
the national movement back. I mean, he didn't live in exile, right? He moved here. Is it 18 he moved here? Um, I think, or something well, like that. So, so his father, so he, he, so I was just going to say about the swearing thing. I mean, luckily uh, he didn't, you know, he didn't take that too seriously. Right. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but then perhaps this is another thing about Juan Carlos. He doesn't necessarily do what he promises to do. But anyway, <laughs> he, so he's born in Italy, right in Rome, but he's, he was basically brought up in Estoril. So that's where his father uh, was set up in, in his exile, as it were, as a sort of king in exile of Spain. Yeah. Um, um, you know, he would have been King Juan if it ever come to the throne. And so Juan Carlos was being brought up in Estoril. Um, he has a very difficult childhood. So a lot of people who apologize for some of his crazy behavior put it down to this. I mean, he's, well, it's, for a start, it might be a bit weird being the son of a king in exile. He then had, there was an accident where he shot his younger brother and killed him, uh -huh. which I don't think we need to get. I mean, we don't know, no one really knows exactly how it happens. There are sort of versions yeah. of it that seem to be fooling around, playing a game with a gun on a rainy day. Anyway, but, you know, obviously something that would, would, would mark him. Um, by then, he was, Franco was, Franco hadn't designated him as anything yet, but he was educated. So Franco, uh, as part of a sort of negotiation he was having with the king in exile, Juan Carlos' father said, well, I want your boy to come and study in Spain. So he, mm -hmm. he was having Juan Carlos shipped, you know, or trained in just, you know, Spain to spend these long terms in Spain away from his family from quite a young age. I can't, I can't recall from what age, but I think we're talking from about the age of 10 or 11. Oh, right. Well, yeah. And, um, you know, he was being taught by, you know, teachers who were handpicked by, by Franco and, and the government at the time. So he was very much being groomed to understand what the Franco regime is all about, what he would, you know, be continuing and so on. Um, and after the incident with his brother, his father just said, go away, go back to Spain, you know, and put him on a train. So there was no counseling or comfort for Juan Carlos there. It must have been pretty bleak. Mm -hmm. but, so you know, that's, that's his very strange childhood. And then um, he is designated successor. He marries, he, by then he's married, you know, the royal Sophia, who is from the Greek royal family. Mm -hmm. um, a little point there, it could be interesting to bear in mind later on, what Sophia's family in the late 60s are basically kicked, or I think early 70s, late 60s, are kicked out of power in Greece. There's a revolutionary period in Greece, which I'm not an expert on, it's quite chaotic, but the royals are kicked out. Mm. And that becomes a drain on on Juan Carlos's finance. He has to try and not only you know keep up his own court and so on. He has to get uh, he has to get more money in to look after Sophia's family, who you know are all kind of in exile. Don't seem to be very practical people or have any way of you know keeping themselves in the style to which they're accustomed, etc. So that's that's one of the sort of pressures on him to make money, right? Uh, which we'll get into later is money making, I imagine. So that's Juan Carlos's early life. And then he takes the throne, as you say, in 75 and pretty quickly starts breaking the promises that he's made. He's not going to, you know, he inherits. This is, so this is a sort of Juan Carlos, the, the, the legendary figure is he's a king, comes to the throne and inherits absolute power, you know, in the late 20th century. 
Yeah, well, uh, he's he's a dictator. He can do exactly what he wants. You know, he can sign a law and say, "This is my law. I promulgate this, and this shall be done." Mm. Um, he inherits that kind of power, and he decides to, you know, use that power uh, by making appointments, by making reforms, by creating new institutions, and so on, to eventually, you know, um, transition. Is, is the only word for it to you know a, a, a democratic a democratic society so you know a heroic task in many ways a heroic decision by him a heroic sometimes you know it was difficult there was a lot of internal opposition to this mm. there were people who hoped he would do what he promised to do and keep you know uh some kind of dictatorship or some kind of you know non-democratic um conservative ultra conservative regime going yeah uh, but you know he managed to plot his way through this i mean i read uh earlier that uh yeah i mean dismissing the the francoist prime minister that he had um mm. must have been quite a um a big thing but then appointing adolfo suarez i mean that's the, i've always been told that w that a lot of people remember him for appointing Adolfo Suarez because he saw like kind of like uh you know he saw like an ally in Adolfo Suarez and I mean if you've ever been to Madrid you'll know that the international airport is named after Adolfo Suarez um but also very political because I read as well that um you know he he managed I can't remember who it was now but he managed to convince um I think some some someone in the middle east to to send a lot of money for the first democratic elections to fund adolfo suarez's party i mean he set up his own political party um so that, <laughs> so that spain didn't fall into marxism was the phrase that i saw quoted yeah. um so also very political i mean not just trying to you know do this for the good of his heart but also very political um yeah yeah i mean this is a Contradictions about Holocaust. I don't think uh, he definitely brought democracy to Spain. Mm. Not single-handedly, but I mean, he, you know, it was up to him to to, to give the impetus to that, and he did. Mm. Um, but I don't think he really understood it in some ways, and I don't right. think he really understood his own, or he certainly understand the role of, you know, the constitutional role of a monarchy in a modern, you know, democracy. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, he. He, um, yes, you're right. But I mean, he, he asked for that money. Suarez was very much his man. Mm. He, he saw someone who would get things done. He made a good decision. He had to get rid of Arias Navarro, who was dragging his feet, not reforming, couldn't, leave, you know, wasn't ready to legalize political parties and so on. So, you know, he got Suarez in. It was quite dynamic from then on. Um, but going forward a bit, so once we have a constitution, we are a democracy, we've had. Two or three elections by now, uh, he, you know, he was maneuvering to get rid of Suarez. Um, right. You know, this is, I mean, it's not exactly public record, but it is, you know, well documented in in, in lots of biographies of Suarez and biographies of the king that, you know, he, um, you know, he seemed to think that even though he, he you think he he created a democratic system, he should then just sit back, but he yeah. didn't. So he right. continued to tinker. He continued to, um, he made a wholesale sort of role for himself completely, you know, to, you know, uh, tailored to his desires and appetites and so on as a sort of ambassador for Spain. Mm. 
who, you know, as we will get into a little bit, you know, was basically selling Spanish companies and products and taking, you know, um, commissions on the side of that. This was something that was accepted. This was just his role. It's a kind of he's kind of extra constitutional king. He's not really in the constitution. He's he's, he's somewhere outside of it. Um, the letter to the Shah, I think it is of Persia, to get money. Right. We don't actually know whether that money arrived, and we don't know whether the, the Swahili party actually got it. It may just right, be, okay. We don't know, but I mean, it's very, very interesting, very irregular thing to do. Um, favoring one party, you know, asking for money, you know, from another monarchy for internal politics, you know. Um, at that time in the 70s, those are, so those earlier the transition years and the earlier the democracy, he also was instrumental in occasionally get, getting for Spain emergency supplies of crude oil, which was a huge problem. And it was you know, behind all the sort of economic problems that Europe ha- and many places had in the seventies. Yeah. He had excellent relationships with Arab kings, with Gulf uh, monarchies, and he he was able to get you know good terms and he or, or, or get supply of oil when it was running low, or whatever in Spain for a commission. And wow. this was just an open knowledge uh, within the government. There's, there's a very amusing anecdote by an economy ministry official who who said you know. One day, he was called into the office, you know, by the minister, or whatever. And the minister says, "What the hell have you done with the oil, or whatever?" And he's like, "Well, yeah, I've got us, you know, I've got us a really good deal. I've got us a tanker." <laughs> it's like you can't do that, you know. With that, no, we're not supposed to buy that tanker. It's you know Juan Carlos, who, or Juan Carlos is, um, you know, ambassador guy who who does this. He chooses <laughs> which tankers. Wow. So, um, you know, he has this incredible, yeah, incredible kind of mm, role, which is, you know, he's, he's almost like a superman. He's not bound by any by any rules at all. Mm. He makes a modern democracy, but he continues to act in a way not as a dictator by any means, but he certainly has an ex- exceptional role as kind of, you know, free-floating, you know, captain, uh, you know, can, can basically act as he pleases. I mean, I suppose another thing that's worth mentioning is uh, the the coup um, in February of, I think, 1981. Um, very famous moment where half the civil guard march into the Congress, fire bullets up at the ceiling, take all the all the politicians who were uh, there hostage, and uh, tanks are seen on the on the the road the basic story is that juan carlos goes on television because they they arrive at congress saying we are here on behalf of the king and he as head of the armed forces as the king is in many countries goes on television in his uniform and says i respect the democratically elected government but it's not as it's not like it's not as clear as this, right? I mean, this is well documented in lots of places as well. Very good HBO documentary on Juan Carlos, which I def- definitely recommend watching. Uh, interviews with with ex Spanish spies and and all sorts. But can you give us a bit of a, a bit of a adapt the down low on this? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, you're right. There are lots of different versions, and there's lots of there's lots of versions about the build up to the coup. So we know what happened. We know what happened once the coup started. We know that Juan Carlos, you know, saved the day in effect. 
Um, he did, you know, he was communicating with military chiefs around Spain, and you know, he and he finally, when when it's you know, but there were still some of them who were arrested, and some of them went out in the streets and Valencia and so on. He did take to the airwaves, and you know, he basically deactivated the coup by saying he wasn't spotting it, and that made him a hit, and it made him a hero. Yeah, like, yeah, that's huge. Like right. we were saying before, that created a lot of Juan Carlistas. People are like, okay, this guy, you know, he's he really is a Democrat. I heard uh, that um, the leader of the PCE at the time went out and said, you know, today we are all monarchists. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. but th there's a lot more, there's a lot murkier story in the build-up to it. So as I was saying earlier, as I mentioned there before, so Suarez, his man, who in together, they they pulled off this, this, this great, success of, of making democracy in the teeth of significant opposition from the old guard with you know terrorist bombings as well happening left right and center didn't make things easy a coup always felt quite like it was around the corner mm. um and but you know by 1980 Suarez was frustrating the king i mean all account a lot of accounts talk about this Suarez. Uh, there are things he he won't do um that, that frustrate the king uh the, the economy is tanking there's a lot of um a lot of disappointment a lot of disillusion is very much the word they use about that era you know that, that, that spain's got this democracy but actually things have never been worse you know in terms of um people's economic situation and so on or not for a long time and um and and there's also a little detail about swear if he wasn't an atlanticist he did he wasn't interested in nato which i think is something where right. the king wanted to deliver and finally did deliver but that's another story so he was definitely becoming frustrated and tired with Suarez. uh and 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 around this time there are these rumblings um there are rumblings of yes we need to get rid of Suarez. there's got to be a change of direction um um someone else has got to take the tiller and basically in the end what we have is there are two kind of different plots one plot is like a, a plot among politicians and other kind of leading figures who say we need to somehow force Suarez out and have a national government um with all the parties so we'll kind of get back to the spirit of the transition itself from five years earlier where the, the communists the socialists and the conservatives we all come together and sort of reset uh and you know give us and try and put some positive energy back into this this project of democratic spain so that's on the one hand and then on the other hand there's also um as there was nearly always but there was a real coup plot happening um between you know officers of, of the spanish army and then there's fascinatingly there's a figure that joins the two the, there is one person who definitely knew about both of these kind of ideas and and that's a guy called alfonso armada alfonso armada was a very senior general um in the army and he had been a mentor of juan carlos his military kind of mentor and trainer and someone who juan carlos was meeting all the time and someone who people felt was in some ways an emissary um of Juan Carlos um he you know so that's that that's the background mm. what eventually happens though is uh early in 1981 in January 81 Suarez says okay I'm standing up you know um I I, I don't feel supported 
Um, he made a speech on television where he tells Spain that he, he's not carrying on. He doesn't mention the king at all, um, which is interesting. But anyway, he doesn't say, you know, he doesn't accuse the king at that time or anything like that of what why he was being pushed out. He just says, you know, I think we need a change and I'm leaving. So this means that, um, you know, this pressure, so basically all the, the, as far as, you know, the, the, the ruling classes are concerned, the plan that plan a is off right i mean they, they yeah. don't need a government for suarez out um the ucd which is the majority party that suarez had led is now now elects a new leader and he's going to become the prime minister and that's the moment that's what's happening in congress when the guardia civil burst in uh and the shots hit the ceiling and everyone hits the floor and all the rest of it um and basically this, you know, hard coup that uh, is mounted in Congress uh, gives Armada the chance to go back to his plan A in a way, which is, okay, well, it, so he um, decides to go to Congress and he wants to convince Tejero de Juarez Civil, you know, headbanger, to, you know, basically negotiate um, a new government and you know and then and this new government would have you know different representatives and different parties and armada himself would lead it right um so he kind of tries to keep this idea of a national government and he seems to have very much strong ambitions of his own well tejero the one of is like what are you talking about i've not come here and he, said, he actually said this in an interview recently he said i mean he's done his jail time he's now an old man a free man tejero he said you know i've not come in here <laughs> uh all guns blazing to you know put socialists in a in a, in a national government you know right yeah i'm coming well. here to stop this nonsense you know right. the military government we're going to sort out the terrorists uh and you know put the spain put spain back on track sort of thing yeah so so is this the, is this juan carlos's fault mm, well armada seems to think juan carlos will support him you know he right. he so he phones the palace. He keeps phoning the palace that night to try and talk to the king. Um, but the, the king's advisor in the palace was make sure that doesn't happen. Basically, says no, you're not talking to him. <laughs> you know, he's no friend of ours. There's, we can only have one line on this, and that's nothing to do with us. All military personnel go, you know, back to barracks, please. So, you know, it's it's in a way elements of the coup. Um, have something to do with Juan Carlos's penchant for interfering mm. and you know moving moving people around rather than just letting institutions um, run themselves. So it's the idea that I, I think he was very frustrated that his demo his democracy was not working, and that Suarez, you know, who had been the great facilitator, was actually had actually become an obstacle. Is there anything to suggest that he knew about the the more harder coup, or or, or is that I'm not out there. I mean, I don't, I don't think, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think while Swindeth was still in power, who knows, you know, if he might, I, yeah. don't, I don't think he, I don't think he did, but who knows what his reaction would have been um, yeah. if it, if it perhaps had been something that he might have served his interest. But the point was by then, you know, his interests had been served. Yeah. 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 Um, 
and you know there there, there was a, a chance for the new government kind of thing you know he, that, mm. that, that, that's what was the order of the day mm. and it's just more this interesting armada figure who you know because of armada there's this very much this suspicion that you know the, the king was somehow involved in this mm. Mm. i mean yeah, we'll probably never quite know exactly what he knew and when. No, apparently, I think the files from the the court case are still, and some of the investigation papers and things are still under the Secrets Act. I mean, they're not yeah. they're not they're not really released. Yeah. So, so the other day, he went to Hero the Guardia Civil, made gave an interview, and he said this. He said, "I ruined the, the coup. I ruined Armada and Juan Carlos's plans." Oh wow! That's what he said. Um, but you know whether they're Juan Carlos's plans by then is is debatable. But it's clear that Armada wanted to carry on with this idea of you know creating a national government and being in it himself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, um, you know that that promptly calls from um, Sumar to yeah to declassify. This is one of the another hangover that Spain has from its you know transition which was not in some ways not complete yeah or not a completely fresh start there is still no proper secrets act you know we have the the secrets act is the franco secrets act franco wow. secrets act. it basically gives the government um you know they can do exactly what they like they're not really bound to release anything at any time there's not not one of these proper automatic yeah um, systems where papers are declassified on a given day it's mm. it's all still ad hoc well and like moving on from this i mean these two points you know the transition his appointment of suarez and him going on television and foiling this coup i mean that's kind of the two the two main things i've always been told about juan carlos and then the third thing is is basically the very famous shooting of an elephant uh, which is many 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 years later like 20 30 years later um so you know during this time up to the shooting of the elephant what was his what was his kind of role in Spanish society? Well, I think so. Yeah, um, these are these are key the key moments. It is you're right. It is thirty years between yeah, the coup and the and the elephant, and these are the glory years. Really, I mean, um, certainly the first twenty. I mean, I mean until the two thousands, he's reveling in success. He, you know, he he stopped the coup. He's he's our man. He's a he. He's the, the creator and defender of democracy. He has a very good relationship with the socialist government throughout the 80s and well into the mid 90s. Um, he's happy in that sense. Uh, they give him a lot of space. He's allowed to basically choose the head of the secret services, which is something he always liked to do. Oh, really? Wow. Really? That, basically, yeah. I mean, you couldn't appoint a head of the civil secret service without his you know, approval. That was just a sort of unwritten uh, rule of governing. And hence, you know, some some heads didn't change with governments. You know, that's unusual in Spain. You know, they would actually stay on after a change from from the socialist PP or vice versa. Oh. So um, he, um, you know, he's 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 Spain's sort of representative on the international stage in, in many ways. Quite quite a well recognizable, a well known or recognizable figure. You know, this is when Spain has Olympics, Expo. Yeah. The, the, double whammy of 92 um 
Spain's join NATO, it's join the European Union, all these things, all this vision of Spain that Juan Carlos had has kind of come to fruition. Mm-hmm. And he is something of a celebrity enjoying that. He's also enjoying, we now know, you know, sort of great wealth that he has way beyond what his salary. We also know that Eve's having an enormous amount of affairs, mm. um, doing a lot of travel. Um, and, you know, and at the same time, managing to be this institutional figure um, who speaks at Christmas, who kind of, he was quite good at, in his Christmas speeches, I remember, I used to find them quite amusing when I first lived here because I always found our Queen, you know, the British Queen speech is so boring. Yeah. It didn't say anything, right? I mean, it was, there was nothing in there, really, just platitudes and yeah. great for this and we're sorry about that. And, I mean, I used to quite enjoy his speeches as a contrast because he he did chide and he did kind of, you know, uh, try and cajole the political leaders of the day into, you know, taking action against, you know, problems, the problems of society, you know, and and, or or taking action or coming together for solutions if they were being, if it was a time of political fraction and, you know, and and, and fractiousness and, and, and so on. So, he, you know, he he was everything. He was the skull of his father of a nation who, you know, could kind of give the politicians a bit of a talking to, albeit in a subtle way. Mm. And, um, you know, right up, as you say, to, to the elephant scandal, he's, there are, there, there are people who know things about Juan Carlos. There's the odd book about, you know, some of his sort of dealings and some of his sort of, you know, the sort of, side B of his life that we don't know much about. But overall, the general public's got no idea. And the press, mainly, because the mainstream press doesn't print anything. Um, yeah, that was going to be my next next thing. I mean, he enjoyed, I, I read in several places, he enjoyed quite unusual amounts of being protected by the press. Like, they just didn't report didn't report on him. I mean, it wasn't that they were lavishing him with lots of praise. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they were at certain points, but just kind of, you know, could get away with anything by the sounds of it. Well, yeah, I mean, so on there's there's a there's this sort of gossip side which they ignore. Um, you know, we don't hear most people don't know about like we do now about all his sort of the, the womanizing he was doing, all the relationships he was having. They were they were totally silenced. Um, I mean, there was a case where someone got photos of him. Um, on a yacht, on his yacht or something, you know, off, off Mallorca or whatever. Without, and I think I don't think he was doing anything with with anyone, but he was naked or sunbathing naked or something like that. And you know, those photographs were bought by a publication in Spain and you know put away, put oh, wow. put in uh, you know put in a drawer. And I mean that that kind of thing happened all the time. He had very good relationships with the people he needed to have good relationships with in the media, in the press. And, you know, things were just kept silent, even if, yeah, money had to be paid. We now know that um, large amounts of money were given to Barbara Rey, a name people might be hearing a lot lately. She was a sort of famous, originally, I think, a beauty queen, a model, an actress, TV show presenter. You know, she was she was quite famous. And uh, he had a relationship with her. But she taped things. Mm. And she had videos. She had audios of their private encounters uh so she kind of played tried to play the state a little bit there 
Um, and, uh, you know, she had to be paid off. And she was paid off with, you know, these sort of secret funds that the security services have at their disposal for these things. I mean, this has been admitted to by heads of, uh, or especially one head of the secret service. Wow. And then she was given a program. You know, this is his good relationship with the media. Valencia TV gave her a cookery program. Wow. You know, public TV in Valencia, you know, gave this person who was not associated with food or cooking or anything like that, you know. That, you know so she was given a job. She was given all sorts of things just to, to keep quiet, basically. Um, and where was I going with that? But anyway, so he had all these great relationships with the media that kept the his private life out of the, the limelight. He also managed to, there were also these scandals. I mean, it's nine, 80s, 90s Spain was marked by these massive corruption scandals, lots of them. I'm not going to try and go into them all. But, you know, again, sometimes he's there near, you know, near the, he has definitely has some relationships with some of these people who are being, you know, we're, seeing, we're reading about in the press, they're being investigated, businessmen, you know, who've got into something, you know, dodgy, end up in court or these internable judicial investigations that go on in Spain. And, you know, again, he's kept, people are not kind of adding, you know, two and two, making four, mentioning from Carlos. So this uh, man, I kind of alluded to him earlier, he did his Arab oil deal. He was called um, Manuel Prado y Colón de Carvajal, very long name. The Colón is apparently Columbus, he was related to. Right. His family came, came from Columbus's family somewhere. Um, so, you know, a sort of minor aristocrat in a way. Mm. He was Juan Carlos's friend, uh, lifelong friend, and he was called his ambassador at large. Basically, he, he was allowed to write letters, sign them, you know, stamp them, seal wow. them in Juan Carlos's name. He did a lot of these dealings. Um, I think he wrote that letter to Shah of Persia. Oh, wow. And, and you know, he, he, you know, he was this kind of secretary with all powers. I mean, he ended up having to go to jail because he, you know, for misappropriation of a, a sum of which is equivalent of more than 11 million euros in one of the biggest scandals of the 90s, which was basically the Q80s set up an investment fund in Spain, kind of kind of thanking Spain in a way for support during the first Gulf War and things like that. And the, the thank you was taken so personally by, it seems, the king, certainly his, you know, people who are friends with the king, that they basically just sucked all the money out of it. Jesus. <laughs> and, and yeah, they sort of just emptied it almost. And um, you know, he, you know, the king's ambassador apparently got eleven million he shouldn't have got um, from that fund. I mean, really, was it for him? Anyway, he took, he did his jail and uh, did a couple of years for that. And um, you know, so, so again, you know. We're reading these names. People know who they are. They know that we know that Prado y Colón de Carvajal is the king's man in effect. But, you know, no one was really, no one was joining it up and no one was saying anything out loud in public mm. until the elephant series, as you say. It's, it's, I mean, there's a complete shift at that moment. Yeah. I mean, as well, anyone that's ever seen a, a newspaper stand in Spain will know that, you know, hello. Or Ola magazine couldn't exist without the royal family or, or minor minor aristocrats. I mean, they, they absolutely love them. Every time there's a wedding or anything, um, it's just wall-to-wall pictures of, of of royalty and and minor aristocracy and everything. So yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 more impressive that they kept it under wraps right for so long uh, until uh, is it he returns with you know 
can't explain no. how he's how he's injured himself, right? His hip, that's it. His hip. Yeah, dislocates his hip or it sort of shatters a hip, I think. Um yes, exactly. So basically he was in Botswana hunting elephants on a safari with his lover, although a Punta Hobosan ex-lover by then, but you know, a woman who had been his lover with a Saudi businessman. Um and the thing is, no one knew he was there. So basically, he'd gone there, and who knows how many times they've done this kind of thing. I mean, he just, you know, he, he he he's supposed to tell the government where he is. They're supposed to know where he is. He's the head of state, right? It's, yeah. It's to, but he didn't do things formally like that. He just, you know, he was he's a playboy king. Basically. Yeah. So he was in Botswana, but which we would never have known if he hadn't. Yeah, he fell over at night and you know hurt his head very badly. And yeah, in the middle of Botswana, there was, there was really not much treatment he could get there of any quality, and they're worried about his health. He's, he's getting on by then. So he has to be flown back to Madrid. And yeah, basically, the government and the security forces and, and all the chiefs, you know, they have to sort of decide how to, how to play this. And, you know, they end up sort of coming clean and saying, well, yeah, he's coming back from Botswana. I think there's an element of, well, he needs to be taught a lesson. Right, because the context as well. I mean, the optics could not have been worse. Um, yeah. Just a couple of weeks before he went on this trip in sort of spring of 2012, he'd made a speech where he'd said he he was being kept up at night because he was so worried about youth unemployment. Because this is Spain, you know, a couple of years into the financial crisis, that's completely you know unwinding, and its impact on the economy. Austerity is here, you know. It's, hugely high unemployment probably up to like 27 percent by then mm. uh and it's also a few months after his cri previous christmas speech in which he told it said that you know we in a royal family you know we we in positions of power we must be, be exemplary we must be seen to be exemplary when people are having such a hard time mm. so uh you know the optics were absolutely appalling so i think there was a decision that right he's we've got to put this out there and he's going to have to just face up to this and he makes a little he makes a sort of vague apology which is vague but it's you know he says sorry i'll never this will never happen again but you know what what will never happen again and so on we don't really know what he means but still it's a remarkably humbling moment for juan carlos that he has to apologize when you know he's done exactly what he fancied at every minute you know of his reign up to then uh, I, I suppose of a, a good summary as well i mean that's when everything starts to pour out right like the so, so yeah, gates are opened yes yes exactly so the media this is when he loses the medium basically. so um you know there's reports of oh botswana he's in botswana shooting elephants a photo appears of him posing with you know dead elephants uh which turns out to be from a previous safari but, but that's oh, the right, point. Really? Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But, I mean, the point is, who knows how many times he's been there in these safaris, right? Then they, they were never officially logged anywhere. Yeah. Um, and who's paid for them, right? And and all the rest of it. So, yes, there is a suddenly there's a the story's out that Juan Carlos has another life that he hasn't really been telling the Spaniards about, and and media begin to do what they're supposed to do, which is compete, right? To like you know who can who can get the details and who can tell tell the story in the fullest way and there's also uh, uh references to his special friend that he was with right? right and this is in a way the first time that the, 
mainstream media is talking about the lover. I mean, yeah, scandals. I mean, there's lots of them um, as far as I'm aware, but none as big as Corina, who uh, is instrumental in the rest of the story that leads to leads to him leaving Spain, right? Uh, can you tell us a bit about her and their relationship? Yeah. Um, so Corina, um, who... Well, yeah, she keeps the surname of uh, her second husband, uh -huh. who was a German uh, prince. Um, and the surname is Zu Sein Wittgenstein Sein. And, you know, this sort of, um, I mean, so she's not an aristocrat. But she's obviously um, always been, uh, you know, I suppose we would say, upwardly mobile. Mm -hmm. She was born in Germany to uh, her father was an airline pilot, I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, so she's and she's from a sort of very comfortable class sort of background. But um, she basically Juan Carlos meets her, and she, you know, she she. She's always interested in, in business, international business. Uh, as I say, she married this, this, this German prince. She had a son with him. And um, she met Juan Carlos in 2003, and I might be wrong, 2004, on a shoot. And she, at that time, was working for uh, a company in London called Boss who organized um, shoots, you know, shooting parties, events, right. safaris, all that kind of thing. So she was interested in, um, she was all, you know, she was working in you know, public relations, as it were, mixing with business people, with people from all kinds of, um, I guess, companies and, and, you know, different countries and so on, and making her way as somebody who, you know, wanted to work at a very high level um um in you know in that kind of business mediation sort of sort of sphere mm -hmm. and yeah she began having a relationship with, with juan carlos um which obviously you know could be useful as well because you know he was very much a wheeler dealer um so her line is always that they didn't combine you know their business and, and their relationship but she would have met more people um as a result of it and juan carlos who'd had an enormous number of well a, a large number at least it seems of you know um girlfriends female companions whatever you want to call them over the years by all accounts he did he very much fell in love with with corinna mm -hmm. the point that before the scandal broke uh before the elephants and so on, um he, he was actually considering abdicating um, well, he was considering divorcing Queen Sophia. Wow. Taking on the chin that that would be basically a game over for, you know, he'd better ab abdicate then. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and starting or, you know, making a life um, with Corinna. And there's a, a scene that's recounted in several books of where he took Felipe, Christina, and Elena, so his children, to a restaurant, sort of sound them out on this oh, plan. Wow. Uh, but uh, I think the reaction wasn't very wasn't very positive. In any case, he did 
according to Corinna, he did propose to her. Um, and he did talk to, you know, you know, and he went through a sort of quaint formality of talking to her father and sort of asking for a hand in marriage. Wow. And she's, and she's shown in recent, recent times, she's talked about the, the engagement ring that she had. She was installed and he had her kind of installed on a, in a previously disused uh, building or home house within the estate of the Fafuela Royal Residence. Um, so it's a very, you know, important relationship uh, and one that, you know, seemed, well, almost it seemed destined to change the, the rest of his monarchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, there was a point where he wanted to be in control of that and decide himself that he was leaving to be with her. Mm. But it didn't work out like that. She actually says that she ended the relationship in 2009, the relationship as such, right? relationship, but they continued to, you know, see each other, be friends, um, you know, and she was on the safari in, uh, as we mentioned before, in 2012. Right. And you, I mean, you've interviewed her, her, right? Yeah. Yeah. And how, I mean, she's in a very difficult position now, uh, currently lives in London. How does she go from being, you know, Juan Carlos, the love of Juan Carlos is that he mm. might abdicate the throne to, um, you know, taking him to court in London, which is only last, mm. was it last week or the week before, basically ruled that uh thrown out of court basically how yeah. does how does one go from a to b yeah from yeah the love of life to you know accusations by her of harassment right and, yeah and very serious kind of claims of intimidation yeah um well it's money uh it's money and maybe it's it's love uh you know unrequited love as well uh-huh. if, if the two go together i guess they're a pretty powerful cocktail um so after the elephant it is very much back to the elephant story this works well yeah. after the elephant scandal um one of the swiss banks where juan carlos has money um and what money a hundred million dollars that he was given in 2008 by the saudi king of the time right for services well no given as a pure gift i mean right there's a lot of speculation over what services it was for or wasn't for it's true that the saudi that saudi king had been brought to spain and fated and made was given one of these um metal uh what are they called these kind of amazing collars you know he's right okay one of these orders the toisson d'or you know, one of these yeah orders. yeah there was also talk of Saudi Arabia is a tolerant country and they were allowed to hold a kind of uh, event about religious tolerance in Spain. Anyway, all these things may have been the reason, but for whatever reason, it was it was described by the king himself as a, give, a gift from king to king. So he gave Juan Carlos $100 million. Wow. And Juan Carlos created, uh, or Juan Carlos' Swiss people created a company in Panama uh um, which was then connected to a swiss bank account right bank mirabel now bank mirabel the bank mirabel uh hadn't up to then asked any questions they hadn't really done their due diligence uh, uh and asked about the money and very few people even in the bank knew this account existed but uh, it seems that after the elephant scandal and 
things start appearing in the press, you can see that, as we were mentioning before, there's this total change in the way Juan Carlos is, is being treated in the media, that, you know, one thing could lead to another, and this could be, this could come out. So they right. tell him to, basically, they say, you've got to get that money, you know, we're, we're closing on the account, we don't want that money anymore. And, and this is where, so Juan Carlos decides to give the money to Corinna, um, who has said, well, I was surprised, it was very, very generous, but I knew he'd give money to other, you know, women he'd been in a relationship with and so on, but he'd never given them anything like this much. But anyway, she either suspended disbelief or she was just very practical about things. And she made it very clear that she would only take this money if the documents clearly stated that this was an irrevocable gift and that's you know what the documents say which i've seen it's an irrevocable gift i don't want anything back um so that's what happened she was given 100 million dollars or 65 million euros at the time well wow. and um in her it was put in her name and moved to a bank in, based in the bahamas um unfortunately it wasn't a gift as such he wanted her to he wanted it wanted her to use it right he wanted her to be buying things you know he wanted to carry on spending the money even though it's no longer no longer belonged to him he wanted he basically wanted her to launder money and she didn't you know she didn't play ball as it were and he got very very angry and we know this apart from the fact that you know one might notice another way or we speaking to but this all came out this is this is so this kicking forward a few more years Juan Carlos has abdicated without these sort of financial the full extent of his financial or really any any of the extent of his financial um, dealings actually having come to the surface right in 2014 he's out Felipe's in and I guess there's kind of a truce again with the media right and uh you know and these things all stop um, but then in 2018, uh, El Español and another another media outlet in Spain have produced these tapes, the Corinna tapes. Right. So it's an interview with Corinna by Villarejo, who is obviously for another another show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, he somehow has got to speak to her, and he's taped her, and he takes everyone he spoke to. Her. And um, you know, she she explains very clearly and very candidly. I mean, this is this these tapes can be trusted, they are the real things. She is just talking about her problems. This is in about 2015 when she's speaking. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's three years after she's been given the money, and she basically says, He's making war on me because I won't launder the money, I won't do what he wants. He wants me to buy this, he wants me to do that. And if I do that, I'm I'm I could become you know accused of money laundering and I could be you know, in a lot of trouble. So she describes what she's since described formally and officially in her uh, harassment uh, suit in London, which, as you said, probably looks like it won't come to court again, um, which is you know, a series of, um, you know, measures of intimidation against her using, sometimes it seems, using state, you know, employees of the, of the state security forces from Spain who are following her, who are questioning her, who are, you know, intimidating wow. her in, in London. According to her, the, the head of Spain's civil service at the time, who was definitely a very close friend of the king, as they, they all were, as I was saying before, um, Stanford Roldan, you know, he 
threatened her basically and sort of oh. said you know she should cooperate you know with Juan Carlos or, or you know he couldn't guarantee the safety of her children now that Jesus. as far as we know wasn't recorded or it hasn't come out but you know right. this is this is these are the kind of claims that she's made and yeah. um so that that's that's how we that's how we go from from yeah one you know fairly sweet situation to incredibly bitter and and then I suppose the other the other side of it is his other financial dealings, which are the ones that you reported on. Um, and I remember reading, you know, the this article during COVID, COVID lockdown. I, you know, it was pretty close to the COVID lockdown. I mean, yeah. and uh, um, talking about and and this goes back to you know his role as the ambassador of Spain and mm. you know his business dealings and things. Um, and essentially, it's you know twenty four hours of where is Juan Carlos uh, in the in the Spanish media. Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell us a bit about how this how this story of of, of, a, of a of a former king moving leaving his country um, comes out in a British newspaper? Yeah, interesting. Is I mean, I mean, there are there are as I said, I mean. Um, the restrictions were lifted. I mean, the Spanish media was was publicizing some things, but to go back to Corinna, because that explains it all. Yeah. Because of those tapes on which Corinna speaks about what is money laundering, or at least an attempt to money launder, or, you know, mm. a, a conspiracy to launder money on the part of the king and his lawyer and his uh, financial advisor in Switzerland, those three, Corinna and those two Swiss guys, are... Um, put under investigation by a Swiss judge because right. on the basis of the tape. Um, and he questions them, he requires information and so on. Now, when, you know, when uh, a judicial investigation like that happens, that means paperwork is produced, has to be produced and has to be shared between the parts. And that kind of led to, you know, that led to more documents being out there and being, you know, revealed. So it's actually a Swiss paper that first okay. revealed 100 million from the Saudi money, for example. Uh-huh. Yeah. The existence of the Saudi money comes from a, originally from a, a Swiss paper. Um, I, the documents that I was able to get hold of and see were um, about that account. Um, and that's the, probably the biggest, most important story of all was on actually the day the lockdown started, right? It came out on the Sunday, the 15th of March, right? The Telegraph, which was the day of Swain's. You know, Spain went into you know full lockdown. Um, yeah, which is probably not ideal <laughs> news point of view, <laughs> but you know. Um, and the story was so we knew about the hundred million already, thanks to the Swiss, and, and then picked up on by Spanish media. But uh, what came out in this story was that Felipe, the king, so the king, thankfully, King Felipe was named on the statutes to that Panamanian fund, uh-huh. he was named as the heir to it. Right. He would be the beneficiary if something happened to Juan Carlos, which didn't happen, and he ended up closing it, and he gave the money to Corinna, well, it wasn't a gift, anyway. But if, you know, the idea was he was named as the heir to that money, and 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 we see the old Juan Carlos's way of doing things. He says, you're the heir to this money, um, and 
I urge you uh, on the day you receive this inheritance to use it to help the family to you know basically satisfy the demands of your sisters and your nephews and nieces and so everyone gets you know what they want so very much continue what I've been doing which is I get money from all sorts of sources it's secret money because there's much more than what I'm giving in my you know uh, from the state of Spain yeah and you know that's how we live as a sort of high rolling royal family and sort of keep that going so that was quite embarrassing even though you know there's no sign Philippe Friedrich never inherited it and it's, it's very possible he didn't really even know about, about this fund uh-huh. and also another I also had the story about another fund which um which is one that Juan Carlos used which belonged well it belonged to his cousin uh-huh. a cousin who uh, um another Bourbon uh, yeah what's it called yeah Orleans Orleans the Bourbon and you know he um he was basically spent years spent him buying Juan Carlos's flights uh private jet flights and all this sort of thing and paying for trips and travel so it was kind of a play account of Juan Carlos apparently and again the cousin began a found set up a, a foundation you know, that uh-huh. would, would help the Spanish monarchy um uh, but you know basically and, and and again Felipe and his sisters uh were named as kind of in her, you know the heirs to that account is this the same person that it suggested or is it accused of paying for Felipe's honeymoon I've seen that somewhere that there's questions around who paid for Felipe's honeymoon no, that's an, that's another one. So that's oh, that's not, another uh, one. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's not Alvaro uh, Orleans. Um, that's Jose Cusi or Josep Cusi, who wow. was an old 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 friend of Juan Carlos from sailing. Uh, right. Okay. Met as and they met and sailed together, and he was a Catalan businessman. And yeah, seems to be another you know straw man um, of, of of Juan Carlos. He basically owned. He was always the owner of all these different sailing boats and yachts that Juan Carlos was competed in. Right, okay. And he was someone who had money, but you know, so it was but you know, it does seem to be that he was basically, you know, putting his name to things that were owned by Juan Carlos because when Juan yeah, when Felipe and Leticia who have it's it's a good illustration really of the family and how it used to operate. I guess Felipe and Leticia probably regret this now. Um but they had an official home which is in a way is a bit like their state salary isn't it and their state role yeah which was they went around spain you know they went to cuenca they went to other city you know which would have been well perhaps not the honeymoon of their dreams i mean they would have met them there and everywhere every one of these cities yeah <laughs> and you know sat down to you know a, a, a lunch and what have you with the local dignitaries and so on but they also had a honeymoon that we didn't that, that never wasn't reported on at all at the time which was yeah a, a lovely round the world trip oh wow uh, private jet flights on each leg so first of all it began with a wedding in jordan someone in the royal family in jordan got married so that kind of got them out of the country got them to jordan under wow. uh, on a respectable <laughs> or you know perfectly normal um guys and then from then on they went to nice places in sort of um in southeast asia uh they went to lovely sort of south pacific destinations and came back kind of by america and yeah this was paid for 
so there's there's actually where Juan Carlos um, there's a sort of email uh, I saw I think where he says, okay, we're going to pay for this. Uh, I'm going to cost about half a million dollars or something. It's quite expensive honeymoon, and he said, well, I'm going to half of it is going to be paid by by this company, and half of it's going to be paid out of my account. So, right, is is this Catalan businessman friend of his? Uh, really in control of that money? Not really. Right. Juan Carlos is sort of, you know, it's just Juan Carlos dealing with his difference with checkbooks. And and <laughs> as but the other the other income that was quite big was the um the the commission for the uh, f- from Saudi Arabia, right, with regards to the railway. Is that right? Well, that's the thing. So we don't. That's what the Swiss prosecutor. Uh huh. When he starts investigating this hundred million they got from the Juan Carlos got from Saudi Arabia, and which then may have been laundering off by you know Karina and you know these Swiss guys, in the end not proved, uh-huh. and perhaps they didn't. Right? I mean, the, the money didn't really get laundered as such by them. Uh-huh. Um, he the, he puts together different bits of information, and I think doesn't make it work because the that hundred million. Was received by Juan Carlos in two thousand eight. Uh-huh. We don't know exactly what for. But the train and in, in Spain, that's so a Spanish consortium, yeah, yeah, and through and other companies, wins this deal to make the train in the desert, linking up the big Saudi cities. That they win that in two thousand eleven. Okay. Uh, apparently, they win it by kind of lowering their price. And, and you know, being cheaper than the French beard or something like that, uh-huh. and it's quite possible. Someone like Juan Carlos could have been involved in that and could have been, you know, using his influence or whatever. But that that he would be given money three years ahead before for doing that doesn't this right? Okay, it doesn't match up. Mm. But what we hear in the tape, the Corinna tape, or one of the tapes, is that he's very angry about the train deal because uh, another. Commissioner, or what should we call them? You know, the people who take commissions. Uh, a very fascinating woman who Zangani. I can't remember her first name. I think her surname is Zangani. She's a very interesting woman. Um, Iranian, I think, in origin, and you know, not one of these sort of high movers and shakers. She got she got a massive commission, and we hear Corinna saying, "Juan Carlos is furious. He wants his half. He wants half of the commission." Right. He started ringing the companies up and saying, "Where's my half?" And she's saying, "And I'm saying to him, you can't do that. You can't do that. You're the king of Spain, or whatever." So yeah, it was a little window into into how it all worked. But there doesn't seem to seem to be a connection between that hundred million and right, okay. uh, and the train deal. But there may have, there was another commission for that. It right. seems. I mean, there are so many. There are so many things we don't know. Um, right. There's a beautiful anecdote from his. Um, financial advisor in Geneva, who says, you know, uh, who tells the judge in Switzerland, yeah, one day I opened the door and Juan Carlos is just is there. He just turned and he said, yeah, I've flown in. I've been in. I went to Bahrain. I've been at the, the Grand Prix and I brought this. And he brings in, a, in a, and he opens a, a suitcase and there's one point nine million dollars in it. <laughs> you know, that's that was Juan Carlos's world. Yeah. So, you know, the, this news story breaks uh that Felipe is on the or was on the this um this foundation. Would you like to explain what unfolds after that? So uh I mean 
on a personal level, it was quite nerve-wracking. I bet, yeah. Uh, yeah, that story went up online on a Saturday night, and it was in the Sunday you know, print edition of the Telegraph. Sunday right. Telegraph. And that Sunday was very quiet. Apart from being locked down, it just felt very quiet. Um, I didn't, I was sort of, I mean, I was confident of all the information I had, but still, it's just such a massive thing to be saying, putting it out there, because by then, Juan Carlos was, you know, condemned. I mean, enough was already known about him for you know there was no way back for him in terms of public opinion but mentioning felipe the sixth it was a different matter i mean felipe the sixth right. very much promising to be different yeah uh, and to be whiter than white so there's no question there's no suggestion that he took any any money and he didn't right? i mean these, these from these the, we, we know that these accounts you know, ended up having to be explained by Juan Carlos or given the fault to his lover or whatever, and he never received it. But it does still open the idea, well, what other accounts are out there? You know, what, what's the relationship between them? What did Felipe know? So it's it's extremely embarrassing. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, just a bit, and I just remember just thinking, well, I hope it's all stacks up and I hope it, it's right. Uh, and then at about, I never got much contact. I never I struggled to get much uh, response when I asked the Royal Household in Spain for information. They only really deal with specialist journalists. Right. And they're not communicative to the rest. And and I never really had very good news for them, I guess, as well at that yeah. time when I was reporting on some of these, you know, the financial uh, indiscretions of the dad. So, uh, but I got, I got unusually got a text message about eight that evening or seven thirty, and it said we will be issuing a statement in fifteen minutes. Oh, okay, this is exciting, and it was a hell of a statement. Um, um, so Felipe kind of must you think on the one hand he must have known this day was coming, but on the other hand the statement does look like a lot of a lot of ideas were thrown together very quickly that day. Right. It's, it's he says that he knew nothing about this. He says that when he or he had known nothing about it until quite recently. And when he had known something about it, he'd gone to a notary public and said, I renounce this inheritance and I renounce any other inheritance from my father. So he kind of tries to create this legal barrier that he can't inherit anything his father gives him. Yeah. I mean, I think legal opinion suggests that, that you can't really do that. But anyway, right. at least symbolically, it's 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 a big thing. Right? He's trying to say, I, I don't want anything this man's any of these secret funds this this man might try and give me, uh -huh. my father. Um, he also um, says that he's cutting off his father in a way from you know he's cutting off his his royal pension. You know, he's, right. he's cutting him out of the of the civil list equivalent. You know, until up to then, after abdication, Juan Carlos had continued to receive uh, payment in an annual sum, um, and you know, he was cutting him off from that. So. You know, and, and then there were a few other elements to, to it. It was a pretty, you know, it was a bombshell. Yeah, a, a huge, huge story. It was, it was Felipe cutting off his father financially. Uh huh. But but more than anything, the way he did that and just putting that out there in a statement saying, "I'm cutting off my father financially and I'm renouncing my inheritance," it very much felt like he was abandoned his father. You know what I mean, yeah. renouncing him. And, and, and his legacy and it did seem to trigger a bit of a shift in the way Juan Carlos was treated uh any protection he may have had seemed to disappear because the very soon after that he was put under investigation by the only court that can investigate him the Supreme Court yeah 
Supreme Court, which, as we know, eventually didn't lead to uh, any charges, but still it brought out more information and, you know, and not long after he, he left the country and he's still in exile. And I suppose he's he's returned, right, to to pay to pay taxes, um, I remember seeing. But yeah, he can only be prosecuted for the time after he abdicated, is that right? And he could then he can only be uh prosecuted by the Supreme Court. Yeah. I mean, so the things they investigated, they investigated all of these, you know, revelations that had come out. And there was stuff that was too old. Um, there was it just timed out. There was stuff that happened before 2014. So yeah. And then he had repay, he had paid off the tax, you know, the unpaid tax that he should have paid. Um and there's a bit of dispute about this because those tax payments are supposed to be done spontaneously, otherwise. <laughs> but it seems pretty clear that you know, he, he basically was, was responding to the fact that he was already under investigation. Mm. Um, but I mean, in effect, the so the case was shelved. I mean, there was nothing he, he couldn't be charged was the conclusion. But but that document that says that does also make clear that he you know, defrauded the Spanish state tens of millions of of euros. Wow. But, you know, it, it's timed out or, you know, he's immune or whatever, mm. so it can't be prosecuted. But it's not a good look. And how, how about in other countries? Because you said you were talking about the Swiss prosecutor as well. How, how does things stand there? And the Swiss prosecutor also ended his investigation. Basically, um, Corinna was acquitted as it were nothing wrong and the um there was a sort of slap on the wrist i think for the bank um and that was that was about it and he, so he, essentially he barked up the wrong tree in a way i mean he, the, i think the the, the the train deal wasn't it right okay um but there were other elements that were very fascinating that came out of the case so this cousin um Alvaro de Orleans had, you know, received a check for four, four or five million euros at one point, and it was from a company that was to do with an investment in Mexico. And he couldn't even remember what it was for. Wow. <laughs> and you were talking earlier about Froilan and about the, the how money comes into Spain, has been coming into Spain. Uh, and one of the things that Juan Carlos was investigated for in Spain were these black credit cards. That, yeah. The, the credit cards. That money was from Mexico. Right. Okay. So there were other, you know, and, and it was being used, you know, as a sort of family pot. Um, so there are other, you know, there are other things we don't know, and there are other monies and funds out there that, uh, you know, have not been uncovered. Wow. And, um, and we don't really know how he's financing his life in in Abu Dhabi. When he when he fly, he, whenever he visits Spain, he comes on a private jet, right? Which we told is paid for by the Abu Dhabi royal family. And do we know anything about his life in Abu Dhabi at all? Very little. I mean, he lives in this. He was was in a very secluded place. I read recently that he'd moved into the city, but we don't know a lot. I think he's. You know, he is a friend of of you know of the royalty there, and you know I think he is afforded a lot of respect, and there's not a lot of prying. Mm, yeah, mm, which I I don't think is easy to do in 
in the Emirates. Right. If, if, if it's prying that's not wanted by the authorities, it probably isn't a very good idea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. And yeah. I, I suppose, how would you summarize, you know, Juan Carlos's figure? I mean, kind of like, uh, I don't know, I, I suppose it's kind of like a mover and a shaker in, you know, the upper electrons of, of Spanish society. I mean, uh, I mean, I think it'd be a good opera. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think he did it his way. Uh, um, I mean, it's hard to imagine them almost a more uncompromising kind of approach to life. Uh, uh-huh. You know, he created, well, he did this big political thing. Uh, we talked about the transition. And then, you know, he decided that was a platform for him to to live, you know, in a, this, this incredible life of, you know, jetting around, deals, relationships, you know, all at a very high level, all at great speed, um, while still, you know, performing, you know, officially being in this rather about this supposedly boring and straightjacketed kind of institutional role, which is what we see Felipe doing, right? Right, yeah. Um, it's almost impossible to summarize in a way. I think it's just, I think it's it's quite extraordinary, really. I think it's 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 almost a kind of superhero. You know, he he was a caped. But not crusader maybe he's more of a caped um corrupter yeah well i think you said earlier you know the playboy king uh was kind of it's kind of how it yeah but also very a very key figure in 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 what it seems to be business politics and and, and everything else yeah well, i mean he, he lived very much lived life to the full um in every sense there are lots of things we don't know as well. I mean, could the, well, it's, it's a bit difficult to say fortune. I don't want to go into fortune telling, but you know, the, the current Royal family has to be very careful of, of what, what they do and how they respond to things. Well, yes. I mean, I think uh, he may be relaxing a bit now, yeah. me, but I mean, he must've spent most of his reign up to now kind of worried about what's going to be in the Sunday papers. I mean, I mean, you know, there's been so many terrible bits of news, and and I've heard people who work at the palace say that, you know, describe their frustration at this that they spend they they work very patiently on you know uh, presenting a news a renewed royal family. They've taken steps in terms of transparency, um, you know, working hard, being careful, really concentrating, and then you know. Then there'll just be a new story, a new, you know, lurid tale of what something Juan Carlos has done, and you know, back to square one, as it were. Um, that time seems to come to an end, but I think probably just because the richest pickings have been, you know, come out. But, yeah. Um, and I guess to some extent it is, it is priced in as well. I mean, you know, we we know that Juan Carlos was a bit of a bad and. Uh, on the sly, although you know there are still plenty of people who defend what he did, you know, as as a public figure. Um, but yeah, it's it's something that's obviously been a big problem for 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 Felipe. He, you know, has he got any secrets? That's you know that obviously the narrative that he's giving out is that no, he doesn't, mm. uh, and he's renounced everything and all the rest of it. But uh, you know. 
I wonder. Yeah. I don't. I don't wonder. I don't. I tend to believe that he isn't probably doing any same sort of thing. No. I really don't think he would be that reckless, apart no. from you know any moral you know reasons, uh, compunctions, which I'm sure he has. But um, yeah, but but still, you know, are there things that were done? Are there things that were signed? Are there things that were received in the past? You know, before he was king, perhaps. Um, you know, I think there will be. I think that he'll be there'll be some nervousness about this going forward as well. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time, James. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it.